so glad to see you in celebration and worship this morning. Lamentations 3 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great Lord is your faithfulness. Amen. Stand please. Let's proclaim that truth in song. Come on, together. Great is your faithfulness. Come on, Calvary. Great is your faithfulness. You never change. You never fail, oh God. Yes, good. True are your promises. Yeah, let's tell him. True are your promises. You never change. You never fail, oh God. And so. Thank God for His love and grace. Sing it. Why is Your love and grace? Yes. Why is Your love and grace? You never change. You never fail, oh God. Why is Your love and grace? Sing it. Why is Your love and grace? Cause You never change. You never fail. That's it, try it. together. He is the eternal one. We praise him this morning. Yes, we glorify you, Lord. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. 
Sing it. Thank you. you. May be seated. Great to sing together. You sound good. We praise our Savior this morning uh, for the great assurance that we have of being saved, right? We worship Him and thanks and praise for that. Our Father is not only loving and gracious, as we were reminded from Lamentations 3 this morning, but He is awesome and shows His glory and His wonder and power in creation. And we're going to sing a song that reminds us of Christ as our King, as Creator. Colossians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 16 says, For in Him, that is in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Let's glorify Christ, the King of creation. We're going to join all of creation and sing together. Here we go. Creation sings the Father's song. He calls the sun to wake the dawn and runs the course of day till evening falls in crimson rain. His finger Creations. 
All right, I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Come on, let's stand as we sing. Everybody, here we go. Creation when I reign upon the earth, the bitter wars that rage are birth pangs of the coming end. When He renews the land and sky, all them will sing and earth reply with one resplendent theme, the glory of our God and Glory to Christ, the creation soon. Amen. We're going to sing a song of thanks. We know that a heart of gratitude is what pleases the Lord this morning. Let's give him thanks. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. For the road that leads from darkness into light. For the hope that rescues us from endless For the grace that love sin at the door when I begin. For salvation reaching into us. Thanks be to our God. For the healing that no more. For deliverance that breaks the sinner's For the strength to carry on And forgiveness great and strong And the promise of your mercies ever new Thanks be to
Jesus. Thank you. Be seated, please. Good morning, Calvary Church. Happy Coffee Sunday to all of you here this morning. Uh, Well done setting your clocks, remembering for those that wander in Oh, at about um, 9.58 here this morning, Uh, let's have grace. Let's just go up to him and say, hey, it's happened to the best of us. Um, Here's a cup of coffee for you. (laughs) You're amongst friends, but welcome. What a joy it is to worship together here. And if you will, take your bulletin booklet that you received when you came in and turn, actually just flip to the back cover of this bulletin. You know, the vision of Calvary Church, I don't know if you can see my coffee mug here, is better together. We un- unveiled this on our 85th anniversary. As we look forward to the next 15 years and turning 100 years old as a church, we want to be better together across all generations and cultures. And on the back of your booklet bulletin, you see what drives our vision is our purpose. See where it says under our purpose. It says Calvary is a community where we connect with God and others to grow in our faith so we reach Orange County and the world for Jesus Christ. Can you get behind that? Amen. This is a worthwhile purpose that fuels our vision. As we think about how to connect with each other and with God, obviously you're here, we're here to connect with God, and in just a moment we're going to open God's word and get to know him through that. But also our goal is to connect with one another. And one of the ways we do that is through the card. And so in this chair rack in front of you, you've seen it before if you've been here before, but there is a little card, we call it the card. And this is a great way for you to communicate with the rest of our church family. Maybe you have someone 
that you want the rest of the church to pray for, particularly our staff this week. Maybe you just want to celebrate something that's happened in your life, an action step that you've taken, even based on our Chronicles of the King sermon series. We encourage you to use that to communicate to us, and you can turn it in the offering in, in just a little bit. And if you're new with us, if this is your first Sunday, or you're just checking out Calvary Church, maybe you've just moved into Orange County, we want to welcome you. And this card will be a great way to introduce yourselves to us. And so fill that out. You can turn it in the offering. Or if you're new, you can even go into the lobby after the service, hand it over to the desk, and we have a nice little gift for you. Not filled with coffee yet, but we can get coffee in there really quickly. Okay, and then now you have your bulletin. Open up to the inside cover. You can feel it's a little thick today. We have a lot going on that God's doing here at Calvary Church. Under the grow concept, one of the best ways that we can grow our kids is through a Christian education. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but here at Calvary School, at Calvary Church, we have a school that has the opportunity to disciple hundreds of kids every single day, Monday through Friday. We have a preschool And we have a school, K through 8th. And this Friday, we have an opportunity to gather together for a fundraising gala to help support the finances of the school and to open the school to more families and children to come onto our campus, to grow in their faith, to be discipled. I'm even thinking of one family in my neighborhood here in Santa Ana. They've experienced a very hard year. Their mom died of cancer. And she left three kids under the age of 11. And the grandma came up to my wife, Marie, and said, we know you have a school at your church. We'd love to have these kids go to this school after such a hard year. What can we do to get them in the school? And so we were able to get them an application. And then they came to us and they said, honestly, we'd love to go to your school, but you know what's holding us back? It's just we can't afford it. And so stuff like that breaks my heart. I mean, obviously we live in a financial world and we have to pay for stuff. I get that. But this gala is one way that we can help families like that take a step closer to getting a Christian education for their kids. And it's not just that family. There's lots of families that would love to go to Calvary Christian School. And so I encourage you either to attend or to support our school as we move forward. And then you can see under your bulletin, Reach Week 2017 is coming up. So we connect with each other and with God. We grow in our faith. The school is a great avenue for that. And then we reach Orange County and the world for Jesus Christ. You have in your bulletin today the first introduction to our theme for our missions conference, which takes place uh, two weeks from today. We have a wonderful lineup. We'd love for you to get to know it, including one of the things that will happen during our reach week is Calvary will go to dinner with a missionary. And so we started this last year, and we've had several of these events over the last two years. But you have an opportunity to go into a home And break bread with a real-life Calvary missionary, a person that we partner with. Get to know their story. They get to know your story. Just be a wonderful evening. So we encourage you to follow the prompts either in um, your bulletin or under our brochure here and sign up for that. We also have our faith promise card in there. And we'd ask every year that you prayerfully consider, okay, God, what would you call me to give above and beyond my normal giving uh, towards what you're doing around the world? And then we also have, whoa, I haven't had my coffee yet. (laughs) The 2017 Orange Coast Christian Outreach. This is a little bit different than what we're doing with our missions conference, but this is another great outreach event. And so you can look through that to find out more information. 
Our missionaries today, as you open your bulletin to the inside cover, are David and Jeannie Morris. In just a moment, we're going to pray for them. They serve in a lot of different places as God's kind of led them now to live in Florida and minister to Muslims that are living in Florida, but then also to go across the seas, specifically to India and to Africa. And so they have a wonderful ministry, and in just a moment we'll have an opportunity uh, to pray for them. And then you may see today Gary and Charlene Ram, who serve up in uh, the beautiful state of Washington with Campus Crusade for Christ. They're hanging out with us this weekend, so look for them kind of wandering around the campus here today. And then finally, just want to celebrate something that God's been doing here at Calvary that you may not even be aware of. Every Monday morning in the row that you're sitting in right here, we have a team of volunteers that cleans through that row. And they go up and down the aisles and and really all around this building. We call it God's house care. And I want to invite Buddy Shipman to just kind of come and stand with me up here. Buddy, if you're here, come on up. And if you are part of God's house care that serves regularly on Mondays, will you just simply stand in your seat right now? Or stand up in your seat. (laughs) Well done. Thank you, men and women, for your service. And I don't know, to our best estimates, God's house care saves the church hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last dozens of years. And so we just appreciate your leadership, buddy, uh, with that team. And you could always use more, right? Sure. <laughs> so you can join our God's house care if you have a little bit of time Monday morning. I think the first guys start bright and early, don't they? What's the first crew that gets here? Oh, about 6 o'clock, but... Uh... Seven o'clock is where a lot of other come in, and and it, the way we clean, uh, it's in. Uh, well, the mopper comes in last in the restrooms, you know. So it, it's that's why they start earlier and yes, yes. to work through it. So six a.m. and we promise we'll have coffee and donuts for you if you come. So consider we'll, in the lobby we'll have a little table you can sign up for that. But appreciate you, buddy, and your great team that serves. So let us pray. Just thank the Lord for all these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Buddy and the team that serves so faithfully here Monday mornings. God, we pray that that team would grow, even from this room. So God, lay on the heart of those that you're calling to serve in this way. We thank you for David and Jeannie Morris and their faithful service to you, pointing so many to Jesus. God, we pray that you would encourage them and equip them in this new season. And Father, we thank you for Pastor Dave and his heart for your word and his insight into who you are. God, help him and lead him in teaching us right now. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, buddy. Thank you so much. It's a great team that does their work on Monday mornings. And we encourage any... Oh, wait, donor, did you take my that little piece of white paper there? Oh, thank you. You're so clean. You clean up after yourself. <laughs> and good morning, I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, not even going to try to fake it, I have a cold, and so I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. You have that feeling where you, you wake up, let's see, did my, did my watch go ahead an hour, or is it still behind, and wait, oh, it's, it's 3 o'clock, no, is it really 4 o'clock, and so about every, every hour I was thinking those things, when I wasn't thinking about you and praying for you, that was in, <laughs> in between. <clears throat> So I may have to uh, 
cover my microphone every so often because I have little coughing spells that will come up. If I were you, I wouldn't shake my hand after church. <laughs> well, listen, it's good to be with you, all that getting that out of the way. I'm going to give you some biblical evidence today <clears throat> that convinces, should be very convincing, that it is unbiblical to move the clock forward. <laughs> so you just wait. It's going to come in this message. I'm going to give you a biblical reason why we shouldn't do that. And this morning, we're continuing a series on the Chronicles of the Kings, and uh, we are going to look at a good king today, and his name is Hezekiah. But uh, I'm going to show you how <clears throat> life is sort of like a cycle of commitment, conflict, and confession. So we're going to work our way through that. You have a chart on the outline that is available for you <coughs> in the bulletin, and uh, I encourage, oh, the chart actually did not get into the, uh, I take that back, it is not in this week's. Uh, outline. But you'll see that Hezekiah falls here at a certain segment. If you just look at the screen, you see where the yellow dot is. What's significant about this period of time is that the ten northern tribes, here's the slide, there's the ten northern tribes that was known as Israel. And as you've heard us say many times, the two southern tribes known as Judah, Judah and Benjamin, but known as Judah, sometimes the ten northern tribes of Israel is referred to as Ephraim. You'll hear that as well. Sometimes that's a little confusing. But the ten northern tribes have ceased to exist. It's uh, about 715 B.C. when Hezekiah had the reign all on his own because sometimes they have co-regencies with their, with their children. And so 722 B.C. is when Assyria the northern power came in and wiped out the ten northern tribes of Israel. Now, in the Bible, we're going to be looking at first, Second Kings chapters 18 and 19. So I encourage you to have that <coughs> available. But it's interesting that in Second, <coughs> Second Kings 17, 41, we read why Israel has been wiped out, the ten northern tribes. Verse 41, it says, while, So while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols, their children likewise, and their grandchildren as the fathers did, so they do to this day. <clears throat> Verse 41 is descriptive of Israel and why it's wiped out. What's significant about that is this. God did not wipe them out because they didn't believe in him. They did believe in him. It says that. It says they had these nations, they feared the Lord. But what they also did is it said, but there's all these other gods of the other surrounding nations, and we like them too. So what the nation of Israel did is they diminished the Yahweh, Lord God, so that he became on par with all other gods. And so the people would ride around in their chariots with coexist bumper stickers on the back. Because they want them to see that we just need all just to get along. And that we're all, there's many ways to God. There's many ways that we can worship. There are many gods out there. And they're all on par. They're all good ways. And so one of the things that happened to Israel is they diminished God to make him like all the other little G-gods that are out there. That's the sign where God says, okay, I'm done. It's not like you're atheistic. It's not that you're agnostic. It's that you're synchristic, that you have gathered together all of the gods and made them as if they're all equal, that we are not equal. There's only one Lord God. And so God wipes out the nation of Israel, and uh, Sargon is the one who did that, 
And then after him is Sennacherib, and we're going to be talking about him, King Sennacherib. And here's some stuff that comes out of Hezekiah's day. We actually have artifacts that come out of Hezekiah's day. If you go to, uh, and Matt Davis is one of those artifacts. He's <laughs> if, if you see a picture of anything in Israel, Matt Davis usually has his picture in there somewhere. And so here's Matt Davis climbing into or out of Hezekiah's tunnel. How many of you would actually walk through Hezekiah's tunnel? Yeah, it's a fascinating thing where they dug, as you can see on the, the, on the map of Jerusalem there, into the inner city all the way to the outside that wall there. It was the way that they could get water into the interior of the city. They had this, uh, this water system that was very creative, and the two sides dug to each other. And as you walk in the tunnel, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you get to the smallest part where the two sides finally somehow found themselves, which is an amazing feat how they could find themselves between coming from the two different angles. If you're claustrophobic, you don't want to go in there, and you don't want to drink the water as well. And so this is an amazing Hezekiah's tunnel. That was part of his heritage. That was one of the significant things that he did. Here's a little artifact that comes out of it. It says Hezekiah, the the king of Judah on it. And so this comes out of that era. It supports that he actually was an historical figure. There are those that are even pushing that even King David never really existed. So we find these artifacts that helps us to substantiate who they are. This comes out of King Sennacherib, who is the king of Assyria. We're going to learn about him this morning. King Sennacherib writes the stories of his his, uh, feats, his warlike feats. And in this, it tells his time of of, uh, conquering the city of Lachish. And you find Lachish in the text here. And actually it references Hezekiah. And actually tells about all the great things that Sennacherib had done. All the, all the places he conquered. But it does not say that he conquered Jerusalem. Because he didn't conquer Jerusalem. We'll see the miracle of how God did that. And so this is this, some of the artifacts that helps to support us. Now when we go into the Old Testament, I want to remind you, Eric quoted me. So I'm going to quote Eric quoting me with this. When you study the Old Testament, there are a lot of details there that seem irrelevant. Like, why do we care about Hezekiah? Why do we care about his plight? Why do we care about all the details that are really outlined in here, cleaning up the the temple and the like? Well, there are temporary practices that occurred in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks about how how women should wear their hair. Why do we care about how women should wear their hair? I'm not going to even try to touch that. (laughs) But Paul talks about it there. So that's not what's relevant. What's not relevant is the temporary practice and the culture of the time. But what are the timeless principles that come from that? So you can learn the timeless principles this week and next week with Josiah. And so here is a timeless principle. That if you are interested in a spiritual walk with God, it begins with a commitment. One of the realities that we're going to see is that commitment then turns to conflict. You cannot have a commitment to God without having conflict. Conflict is part of the journey. But when conflict comes, then there's this point of confession where we turn to the Lord and find dependence on him so we can have once again a commitment to God. This is a cycle that we go through. You see it so many times in Old Testament stories. We're going to see it in Hezekiah's case. It begins with commitment. Here's the thing that you and I need to have. We need to have a commitment, a faithful commitment to him. And there are four qualities that I'm not going to have a lot of time to spend (coughs) on each of them. 
But I want you to see, there's the standard. Here's the bar. Hezekiah, we are told, was the most wonderful king in God's eyes. He and Josiah. There was no king that was as good as Hezekiah. So this is as good as it gets. Then what do we see in his life that should be relevant and good for us? What's the timeless principle? And there are four qualities. Here's commitment number one. That my commitment is based upon an unconditional covenant with God. There has to be a beginning point with my relationship with God. I'm not born a believer. I'm not born into the church. I'm not born as a Christian. There has to be a point in time where I officially make a covenant with God that he is my God. There is no other God above him. And I yield myself to him. I put my faith in Christ. He is my Savior. He died for my sins, he took the penalty of my sins, and I begin that journey with him. So many people have that fuzzy, are you, if you ask them the question, if you were to die today, do you know that you go to heaven? And they say, I, I don't know. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. If you were to die today, do you know that you go to heaven? Well, I sure hope so. We, that, those are opposites. When you have a covenant with Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you die today, you know you're going to go to heaven. You have assurance of salvation. That should be all part of the deal. It's a covenant. Notice the covenant that Hezekiah had with God. In 2 Chronicles 29, here's the the challenge of these kings like Hezekiah. you got many chapters in Chronicles and you got a couple or three chapters in Kings. And you have to sort of rhyme them together. Chronicles gives a whole lot more about the temple and the worship. And uh, Kings tells us a little more about his uh, more um, uh, acts of uh, war. In 2 Chronicles 29, it says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Hezekiah makes this journey out of a covenant with God. Not how he feels on any given day. Not that he has a sort of a swoon of good things happening in his life. But he's a covenant with God. He says, there is none like him among the kings of Judah. See, Hezekiah, was, there was no one as good as Hezekiah was. There was none like him. For he clung to the Lord God. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments. So I picked on this wonderful Hebrew word. You've heard me, if you've heard me for any given period of time, you've heard me give you this Hebrew word of debak. Remember debak? Anybody remember debak? Okay, I'm trying to keep you awake this morning because I know you lost an hour. I'm trying to keep myself awake because I lost about five hours. Debak is a wonderful Hebrew word for to cling or to has clung, depends on the past sense. Here's where it was originally used in the Bible. And this uh, helps to illuminate. Genesis 2.24, we know this. For this reason a man shall leave his father's mother, shall be joined or so cling to his wife, debak, and they should become one flesh. So the idea of debak is this total intimacy. It's unlike any other relationship. There is no other relationship like a husband and a wife. God has no provision for any other relationship that is like the debak of clinging between a husband and a wife. There should be that intimacy and the closeness. And here's how close it should be. That same word debak is used in Job 19.20 where it says, My bone clings to my skin and flesh. How intimate is that? Can you imagine taking that skin and peeling off your bone? You think, I can't imagine doing that. That would be both ugly and painful. That's why divorce is ugly and painful. Because it's like taking apart the clinging, the debacle of skin 
attached to bone. Both are integral. Both are interdependent. Both are necessary for the fullness of life. So God says, this is what I want for you. I want you to cling to me, God says. It says, Hezekiah, he clung to the Lord. He debacked with God. It's like skin on bone. That's intimate. That's close. It's interdependent. As God looks at us and says, I'm so happy with you, we look to him and says, God, I'm so dependent on you. So God says, I want a covenant with you like that. And it has to begin sometime. It doesn't just sort of fall into it. You don't just go to church and suddenly it's there. You have to have a point in time where I've made this covenant, where I cling to you. There is none other. I trust in you alone. So if you've never had this covenant with God, I encourage you to make that today. To come and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. To say that you have died for me and there is no other way to heaven but you. I I don't believe in all the other little g-gods and you're sort of one of the other gods that I can believe in. So I'm going to choose to believe in you today. But I might believe in the others someday. No. That's not what he's talking about. Where it says that you alone are the Lord God. There is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. There is no other one but Jesus, who is fully God in human flesh, who died for my sins, and I put my faith in him alone. That's a covenant that you make, and it never goes away. Because as you cling to God, as you debauch with God, as skin is on my bone, I have interdependent relationship with him. So that's what the standard number one is. That you have a covenant with God. And then standard number two is that I begin to move sin from my life. I begin to transfer that sin to the point of forgiveness upon the blood of Jesus Christ. It says in Chronicles, he removed the high places, he broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. This false idolatry that was going on there. And they carried the uncleanness out from the holy place. So this idea of covenant number two of this covenant is is that I begin to remove the sin from my life. I get rid of those things that hold me back. The problem is that we like to cover it up. We like to not let anybody know. We, we like for people to think that we're kind of okay. And we have this sense of covering up those things that God says, I want to remove that from your life. I love this quote of one of the ancient fathers that wrote about this whole thing of confession. His name is John Cassian. He was a great spiritual leader, uh, many hundreds in the 5th century. He says, as soon as the wicked thought has been revealed to God, and at least to one other Christian, it loses its power. There's something powerful that happens when you relate to God and you confess to him those things that should be removed. And you don't try to conceal it. One of the things that we have in today's bulletin is this. I want you to think about this. Number one, have you made a covenant with God that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that he alone is the way to heaven? And I suspect many of us, most of us have done that. But you also have this card in here that talks and uses that same passage. Then he said to them, listen to me, O Levites, consecrate yourselves now, consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. Here's the timeless principle. Is there any uncleanness? Is there any sin? that continues to linger in your heart, that you need to clean it out. Because Hezekiah went out there and he got rid of all the high places. 
to get rid of all the places where all this idolatry could occur. He said, I need to clean it out of the temple. I need to clean up the temple. I need to have a restoration job. So he cleans up and restores the temple so it can be a place of worship that alone in Jerusalem they would come and worship God. So I'm going to invite you somewhere in the course of this time together to write down on here anything that you think needs to be cleaned up. And then I'll invite you to do something with it as you think about that. So God <coughs> wants us to expose the wrongdoing. Thirdly, the third standard of why was he the most outstanding king? He had a covenant. He had confession of his sin. Thirdly, he had this tremendous joyful worship of the Lord. I love, I just picked out some of the verses in Second Chronicles. You just read through that. I encourage you to read it. We don't have enough time to go through them all. But look at some of these words. So they sang praises. They've confessed their sins. They've cleaned it up. They're really excited about the relationship. So they sang praises with joy and bowed down in worship. May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So the Lord heard Hezekiah, and he uh, healed the people, and so there was great joy in Jerusalem. Some of these people were coming to worship at the temple, and they weren't right. They weren't prepared. They have not confessed their sins. There was unholiness in them. But they were coming to the temple. So Hezekiah prays this wonderful prayer. He says, God, not everybody's ready to worship you here. This is kind of a new thing. I'm cleaning up this community. I want people to be right. So God, don't judge, don't discipline these who come with hearts that aren't whole for you. So God says, Amen. God says, I heal them. I'll give grace to them. Well, you've got people that you know that whose hearts aren't right and they want to come before God. Don't hold them back. Let the healing grace of God come upon those who are somehow spiritually deficient. That's okay. I love this, this concept of God where he comes along and says to them, their hearts aren't right. They haven't gone through the purification rules of the sanctuary. And God says, okay. God is such a gracious God. So he invites us to come and worship him even when I don't feel right with God. Even when I'm angry with God. Even when I'm frustrated with the way life is going. Even when life is miserable and I come in here with a sour heart and I didn't get enough sleep last night. And God says, that's okay. I'm glad you're coming. I want to heal your heart. This is the, the worship experience. This is where joy comes out of that. And then finally, when they do that, when they have that kind of relationship with God, and they kind of worship God this way, and they come, the fourth standard is this. Here's why Hezekiah was one of the best kings ever. Because he had this sacrificial generosity. And he challenged the people to sacrificial generosity. Notice some of these verses here. Second Chronicles 31.5 says this, about the people and the revival and the land. As soon as the order spread, the sons of Israel provided in abundance the first, first fruits of the grain. They brought the first tithe to the Lord. And that means grain. That means wine. It means oil and honey. The produce of the field. They don't really have cash like we have. They don't have credit cards. They don't have apps to download funds to. Uh, they just brought the goods that they had. And they brought it in abundantly. When you have a covenant with God, when our sins are being confessed in full, 
when I come in a spirit of joy and worship, the last thing usually it affects is the wallet. And when you go to the heart, you go to the wallet. And their heart was right with God, and their wallets opened up. And they began to give. It's interesting the way it describes it. In the third month, they began to make the heaps and finish them by the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the rulers came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and the people of Israel. What's happening is this. These people are bringing so much food in that they're having to pile heaps of food. They were overflowing with goodness of people's generosity. It's just incredible. Wouldn't it be fantastic when we pass the offering that just begins to overflow? I just throw that out there because a lot of people give a credit card or online. But in any case, wouldn't it be fantastic? I only know of one time of one church. I may have shared this a long time ago. I heard about one church in the Phoenix area where the pastor got up and says, you know, you people have been giving so much. We have so much money that we're not even going to take an offering today because we don't need it. And I thought, this guy's nuts. But they just sort of reached that. They had heaps of money. Uh, they were somehow being overly blessed. I think we should just give not based upon need, but give out of a heart that wants to serve the Lord, not based upon the need of the people, but the service to the Lord. And so these people would give, and they gave with great generosity. There are four standards of why Hezekiah was the best king. Number one, he had a covenant with God. He clung to the Lord, intimate, like skin on bone. Number two, he brought all of his sins before God and says, I just want to confess them all. I'm not going to hold back on anything. I want to reveal everything. I don't want to hold back. I want them to be made known. Number three, they had a joyful worship before the Lord where no one was held back because their heart wasn't quite right. And number four, there was a generosity where they gave above and beyond what they ever would have thought. And they had so much that there were heaps and piles of goods that people gave. Just incredible. So God says, I honor you. I honor that kind of life. So that's a standard of a commitment. Now what happens when you have commitment Commitment leads to conflict. The, the hard part is that when you have a commitment to the Lord, you sort of expect things to go better. But what's going to happen now is things are going to get a little bit worse. So Hezekiah <coughs> has this strong commitment that he is underway. And here is the statement. Expect conflict and opposition as you live out your faithfulness to the Lord. It's just going to happen. There's an enemy that doesn't want us to succeed. I love this little section. Let me show you this passage from Second Chronicles. <clears throat> Every work which he began in the service of the house of God and the law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart. And then I highlight in yellow this amazing phrase that comes. After these acts of faithfulness, see, very faithful, all of his heart, no hesitation. He's all in. He couldn't be more committed than Hezekiah. So after all these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded. And you think, well, God, if I'm all in for you, I'm all committed to you, my goodness. Now Sennacherib, I thought Sennacherib would come if I wasn't being faithful. 
I thought you'd bring hardship and discipline because I'm being unfaithful. I'm being as faithful as anybody could be with all of my heart. So Sennacherib comes and invades Judah and besieged the fortified cities and thought to break into them for himself. This is the crazy thing about living the spiritual life. Here's the timeless principle. That as much as our commitment may be for the Lord, it doesn't prevent the enemy from invading that faithful heart. As Sennacherib invaded literally the community of Judah, the enemy is going to invade our hearts. He's going to take away our hearts. Here's a little interesting relief that was found in some of the burial rubble. I wrote in my email this last week. It's interesting because just this last week, some of the Iraqi forces were able to push into Mosul. Mosul? 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 Thank you. Couldn't do it without you. Mosul, Iraq. And as they got in there, they could see that ISIS had destroyed a lot of things like the, the tomb of Jonah, Nineveh area. And they found underneath the tomb of Jonah, because they couldn't get there otherwise, but because the ISIS blew it up, they were able to discover the palace of Sennacherib. Amazing. And they discovered all these things. They found things like this. And on this particular relief that is there, it says, Sennacherib, the mighty king, the king of the country of Assyria, sitting on the throne of judgment before the city of Lachish, I gave permission for its slaughter. Lachish is that community that Sennacherib came in and destroyed and wiped it out. In fact, they have a, there's a picture of that city now today. It's just a pile of dirt that you can go and visit here in this area of Israel. So Sennacherib comes along and begins to destroy, and he destroys Lachish. So he comes to Lachish, and I just, for the sake of moving forward in that story, Sennacherib comes, he destroys Lachish. And then he takes his armors, people, and they come to Jerusalem. And they begin to attack. And here's some of that attack that went on with ISIS. This is the same kind of thing that Sennacherib did to Lachish way back. And it began to wipe them out. And what happens is that all the armies surround Jerusalem. So here's Jerusalem. Here's Hezekiah. Think about this. Hezekiah, he's cleaned up the temple. He's made a covenant with God. He's confessed their sins. People are joyously worshiping the Lord. People are bringing heaps, heaps and heaps of food and their tithe to God. It couldn't be better. And in the midst of all of this, the city is being surrounded by the enemy, Assyrians, warriors. The same Assyrians that have wiped out the ten northern tribes, that Assyria has now come to Judah. So they know, they know this is possible. They saw their brothers and sisters, their Jewish brothers and sisters, being shipped off to Assyria. Shipped off to areas we know of <coughs> as Iraq and Iran today. And as they see them go, they see that same army. Sennacherib now, that was Sargon that did that, but Sennacherib, his son, came into power. And he surrounds them. And Sennacherib begins to, he sends his troops over there, and they begin to yell at them. Imagine you're in a city, imagine you're in your house, and some enemy begins to surround your house, begins to attack you. They begin to yell at them over the walls of Jerusalem. Here are some of the things that they did. 
In 2 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to read some of the verses. And I'm going to show you the temporary practice, but the timeless principle that comes out of it. And you have it on the outline. But I'm going to read the text. One of the things the enemy loves to do when he surrounds us, he causes this fear in our hearts. 2 Kings 18, 19 through 21 are the words of the warriors of Assyria. So 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 19 then Rabshakeh, who was one of the emissaries of King Sennacherib. Again, they're outside the city wall. They're shouting to Hezekiah inside the city wall. Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, which is Sennacherib. What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely? that you have rebelled against me. Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, he will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. Background. Hezekiah had made an arrangement with the king of Egypt to war against Assyria. Egypt was a very powerless country at that time. So King Sennacherib sends his emissaries, and they come, and they shout over the wall, who are you to trust in Egypt? You're never going to do this. Timeless principle. Here's what happens. Conflict may cause feelings of weakness and inadequacy to serve the Lord. That's a timeless principle. It's a principle where the enemy begins to give me voices, not literal voices like I have some sort of a mental illness, but voices that begin to penetrate my heart that makes me feel I am inadequate to what God is calling me to do. The challenge is too great. The problems are too difficult. The issues that surround me are going to overwhelm me. That's not God's voice, but that's the voice of the enemy. That's what the enemy is saying to Hezekiah, and today the enemy tries to say these things to us, that we are weak and inadequate, and we don't have what it takes. Second thing, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 22, they begin to shout again over the wall from the outside into Jerusalem. But if you will say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? <coughs> and it said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Hezekiah has removed all other little g-gods. There is only one place to worship, it's Jerusalem. He alone is God. And now they're throwing that in his face. You've wiped out all the other places to worship. So it's timeless principle. Conflict may cause you to lose confidence in the Lord's ability to help. You've got to go to Jerusalem. There is only one way. And so we have this conflict of the world where it says there are many ways to God. But Hezekiah says, no, there's only one. And the world says, well, then your God is not going to be sufficient to take care of you because you can't try to find him. He's not going to be there when you need him because you've taken away all the other little places where people can go worship little g-gods. So they begin to diminish God in their eyes so that God is not going to be there. He's not going to give me the confidence to trust in God. Third, the voice continues in verse 23 as they shout over the walls of Jerusalem. Now, therefore... 
Come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, and I will give you 2,000 horses, and if you are able on your part to write, set riders on them, how then can you repulse one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and for the horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. The Lord said to me, go up and destroy Judah. Now that's believable. Because God sent Assyria to destroy Israel. Remember, ten northern tribes wiped out. Two southern tribes, the only Jewish community left. So this king, Sennacherib, says that God sent me to punish you. Timeless principle, conflict. That causes me to think that, oh, God must be upset with me. I've got problems, and God must be punishing me. Because... If I was really right with the Lord, he wouldn't punish me. There is this image of God being this heavy-handed, judgmental, unforgiving father where I never quite measure up to his standards. And I feel always diminished. I feel always guilt-ridden. I feel as though I'm never worthy of his love because God has punished me. And as Hezekiah hears from Second Akram, God has sent me to destroy you. You ever have that sense that God is just out to oppose me, to make life harder for me? Well, this is a timeless principle that comes from the enemy. The enemy's voice is always causing me to think, I don't have what it takes. You know, if I listened to everybody that told me that I don't have what it takes, I would have been working at Home Depot a long time ago because I can't do this job. When I was in college, someone told me, don't go into ministry, you're not qualified. My first church, don't continue to be a pastor. You're not qualified. I had somebody here in this church tell me many years ago. He says, why don't you get out of the way so someone better than you can do the job? Well, that's not very encouraging to hear those things. But I've been told those things, and I'm just dumb enough to not believe them. Now, there are probably some of you, maybe they had a point. Uh, But, you know, there are those times when you have these voices. You you have these thoughts that come your way. So conflict may cause you to be tempted to surrender, just sort of give it up, to quit. I can't do this. This is too much for me. And so I'm just going to give in to the values of the world. Notice in verses uh, 18 through 28 through 33, Then Rabbishak stood and cried with a loud voice in Judea and saying, Hear the word of the Lord, the great king, the king of Israel. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not deliver you in, from, the hand, from my hand. Just follow me and I'll give you everything you want in life, is what it goes on to say there. I'm just telling you, the enemy likes to come in and give me thoughts that are self-destructive, self-punishing, that are guilt-laden, that God is against me, that the problem is too big for me, that I am inadequate and not up to the task. I'm just telling you, that's what the Assyrian powers were yelling to the citizens of Jerusalem to demoralize them. These are timeless principles that are still in operation today. You feel like it's too much for me. I'm inadequate. I'm overwhelmed. This is a problem I can't ever deal with. I'll never get beyond it. I'll never feel better than I feel today. I'm so down in the dumps. I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged. God must be punishing me. God must really be angry with me. God is holding me back. God is opposing me. God is disciplining me. God is judging me. These are voices of the enemy. And they're filled in this passage here. So when I have commitment, comes conflict. And then conflict then brings me to confession. 
So I said, God, I am overwhelmed. These are very hard. I don't like to hear people say those things about me. It's very discouraging. So Hezekiah goes before the Lord, and he humbly, he confesses himself in dependence upon God. Notice some of these passages I just picked out of. 2 Chronicles 32. Here's what Hezekiah then says to the people. As they're being demoralized by the enemy, shouting at them in the Judean language. You notice that it might have said that. Judean language. Not in the Aramaic language, but in the Judean language. So Hezekiah says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. I love this phrase. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. Who knows the New Testament version of that? 1 John 4, 4. It's, in the, it's on your outline. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's amazing, isn't it? So here's this Old Testament version of it. The horde that is with him for the one with us, God, is greater than the one with him, Satan. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord. Our God is our God to help us and to fight our battles. That's why Hezekiah was so outstanding. I wish I had that faith all the time. I don't. I don't always feel this way. Because sometimes I believe the enemy's voices. And it's discouraging. We get discouraged. We get down. So I come and I confess that to the Lord. He confesses himself. He gives his total dependence upon the Lord. It says in 2 Kings chapter 19, 14 through 15, it says this. Then Hezekiah, he took the letter from the hand of the messengers. See, they sent this letter that said, here are all the things that are going to destroy you. He takes this letter and he lays it out before himself. He takes that letter and he went up to the house of the Lord. And he spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord our God. So he takes that. That's why I encourage you to take this. Say, God, what do I want to confess to you? And I want to write this down. I want to lay it out. And I want to bring it to you, God. That you would forgive, that you would heal, that you would guide. And then Second Chronicles chapter 20 is this amazing thing that happens to Hezekiah. He is told that he's going to die. You think, wow. <coughs> now, all this is taking place in the same year, 701 B.C. In 701 B.C., King Sennacherib comes and attacks Jerusalem. In 701 B.C., Hezekiah is told it's going to die. Not something you want to hear. Second Chronicles 20, listen to this. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, now Isaiah lived in the same time as Hezekiah, son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Sit your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Wow. How would you like to have Isaiah come and say, You know what, Dave? You're going to die, so get your house in order. You know, wow, that's pretty tough. Here's all this faithfulness to the Lord. After all this worship, this revival that's taking place, and now you're going to kill me? You've got to be kidding. Then he turned his face to the law and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember me now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out from the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return. So he thinks he's dying. He's weeping bitterly. And Isaiah hears the word from God. And he says, return, say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David. I have heard your prayer. Man, you want God to hear your prayers. I've heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. 15 years to your life. I don't know why 15. But for us, 15 years makes us 100. So 15 would be okay with me too. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, take a keg of figs. They took it and laid it on the boil and it recovered. Now Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? I need a sign. God gives signs in those days. And here's here's what I said at the very beginning. If you're still listening, you're still awake. Here's what I believe is the biblical evidence that moving the clock back is unbiblical. Now Hezekiah said, what shall be the sign? In verse 9. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord. The Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go back ten steps? So Hezekiah says, well, it's easy for the shadow to go forward. The sun's always going forward. No, but let a shadow turn backward ten steps. So Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord, and he brought the shadow of the stairway back ten steps by which it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz, and God turned the clock back. Done. <laughs> but isn't that an amazing miracle? I'm not sure if that's a timeless principle that therefore we shouldn't have Pacific Standard Time. Uh, that might be a little suspect. But it's a miracle that God does that. Now, here's the other miracle that God did He said, I'm going to wipe out King Sennacherib. So King Sennacherib has all of his armies surrounding. We it's in the text, but take my word for it because we're out of time. They're surrounding Jerusalem. Remember, they're yelling at him. They sent letters telling him, we're going to defeat you, we're going to destroy you, you shouldn't trust in your God, blah, blah, blah. You're worthless, you're hopeless, you're inadequate, you're weak, you're being judged. All that stuff's being thrown at him. And so Hezekiah comes and he prays in 2 Kings 19. You can read the wonderful prayer there. He prays, God... Help us, essentially help us. So that night, God brings an angel of the Lord to the Assyrian armies surrounding Jerusalem. And that night, the angel of the Lord destroys 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. They're dead. And one night, just wipes them out. I don't know what the funeral business was like in Jerusalem in those days, but I can't imagine 185,000 soldiers, dead carcasses outside the city of Jerusalem. So God spares Hezekiah. He adds 15 years to his life. He saves them from King Sennacherib. And then Hezekiah continues to serve the Lord, and he brings in this Babylonian ruler, and he begins to show him everything, and here's the one last negative. I want to let you know. You can be really good in God's eyes, but you can't be perfect. So Hezekiah, let me just finish up with this. But Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received because his heart was proud. You see, he had so many good things going for him. He's healed. He gets 15 more years of life. 185,000 soldiers are wiped out by the angel of the Lord. He's set free. 
this Babylonian ruler comes into the community, and Hezekiah says, let me show you all the wonderful things I have. Let me give you a full-on description of every good thing I have. So he shows him everything, literally everything. And so he brings his pride to the forefront. Therefore, the wrath came on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. However, Hezekiah humbled the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come on them in the days of Hezekiah. It is so easy to have all those great victories from God. And then we resort to pride. This is the problem. Commitment, conflict of pride, confession of my pride, commit again. This is the cycle of spiritual faith. Commitment leads to conflict that leads to confession that renews my commitment to God. So I'm going to invite you to put on this card whatever conflict that is in your heart. Whatever conflict, whatever trouble, whatever sin, whatever's holding you back, if there's anything, would you write it on there as a confession so there can be a commitment, a a debak, a clinging to the Lord of intimacy with God again, where he is number one in your life? I invite you to that, and I'll show you what you're going to do with that card as we close our service this morning. Let me pray for us. Father God, help us as we look to you for this time. God, you're a mighty God, and we need you. There's so many things that go on in this world today that are troubling. God, there's so many things that are conflicting in my heart about wanting to believe you but not always seeing the things I should see and want to see. God, we might be surrounded. We might feel like the Jews in Jerusalem surrounded by all this pressure, all these problems. And yet, God, you want to give us the victory that you alone are God. Where else would we go but you? Strengthen us for that. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> as high as the heavens are over the earth, and wider than every sea, love without borders, grace beyond words, your heart. Runs river
on his love as we end this morning. I believe your love is faithful when all my hopes have crumbled. It is standing strong and able when everything has failed. And I believe your love will come
can somehow <clears throat> remember Hezekiah is a man who initially made a commitment to God, a covenant like the Bach, clinging to the Lord like skin on flesh. But in that covenant, in that commitment, conflict will occur. Don't let that get you down. Because in the conflict, there are the voices that want to discourage and defeat so that I can come back and I confess, God, but who would I go to but you? You alone are the Lord God. So let that be the the voice that goes out as you go out this today. And if you have a need to make a commitment to the Lord today, we'd love to pray with you. We have folks up at the front love to spend time praying with you <clears throat> that you would have that kind of relationship with God. Now, and secondly, I'll be, out, I'll be out in the lobby and if you want to keep a cone of about five feet away from me, a cone of, a cone of purity from viruses, that's fine by me because that's how I am. But I'm going to take this. <clears throat> I have a trash can. You see, in the temple, they had uh, a time where they <clears throat> took all the uncleanliness and got rid of it. If you have any sin that you've written down on that card, any conflict that is holding you back, say, God, I'm going to release that. I'm going to get rid of that. So here is the release mechanism. Uh, so I'm going to put this out in the lobby. If you'd like to drop it in there, it says, God, it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, so has my sin or my conflict or my problems from me. Because God, you alone are the Lord. You alone are the Lord. So I encourage you to use that. Just, it's a symbolic thing to be sure. But something happens when you say, God, I admit this. And I want the victory. I want to overcome it. I don't want the voices that are going to hold me back anymore. So I'm going to trust in you through that. So let me pray. Well, let me, I'm going to pray as I walk. I can walk and pray. I think that's okay. I think it's still biblical. But let me pray for us. I'm going to put this can back here. <clears throat> I'm going to throw my viruses into it as well. <laughs> Father God, we look to you for this moment. God, we need you. We need your power. God, we live in a world where there is conflict that wants to take us out. We, we begin to hear voices of those that would discourage us. God, help us to live a victorious life of commitment to you that we rise to the bar that Hezekiah has set for us. God, and we become your people. We live as your people. So strengthen us. Give us the victory. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.